Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better. And dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hello, I'm Blair Bathory, and this is the Something Scary Podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Whether this is your first time or you're one of the brave souls, who join us every week. The hope is when we die, that we go peacefully, that our family and friends can warn us properly, and that we can quickly pass over to the other side to live out our existence among the clouds in heaven. Unfortunately, there are so many things that can go wrong with other people in charge of our human remains, unsettled souls, and ones seeking vengeance. We are lucky if we make it to the afterlife. First, who made the call, followed by a killer prank. Then, a deadly dorm room. Finally, in our feature story, watching someone die. So, wanna hear something scary? Bodies of the Dead. Emergency workers often deal with death, and when investigating cases, have to keep a clear and open mind. But sometimes, something happens that just can't be explained rationally, as in this account inspired by a true story and written by Janine Pipe. I'm a police officer in Massachusetts. We often get dispatched to weird and wonderful call-outs but nine times out of 10, they're just regular shouts with some, let's say, colorful characters. But once in a while, something happens that's inexplicable. No matter how you look at it, there is no way to justify what you saw. 
And I don't mean some of the awful crime scenes or the heartbreaking homicides I've attended. No, I mean, well, it's just easier if I tell you the story. I had a rookie named Steph with me the night in question, and it was a good thing I wasn't alone. Otherwise, I might have been inclined to believe I'd dreamed it. It was a fairly quiet shift, and we were mainly just cruising around, proactively looking at known hotspots and being present. A call finally came in about a possible 1031 at a property not too far from our location. We sped off and arrived at the address given by dispatch. The caller, who of course had wanted to remain anonymous, had suggested it looked like someone was trying to break in. It was around 3 a.m. at this point, and the entire property was in darkness. There didn't seem to be any security lights either, so we used our flashlights to check the perimeter. Nothing appeared unturned, or like anything had been tampered with, and there sure wasn't anyone around. But it was good practice for Steph, so I got her to knock on the door. No answer. We were about to radio back in when Steph, who was still standing by the door, said she thought she heard something like a crash from inside. Wanting to make sure we checked on the welfare of the homeowner, I managed to open the door with a good shoulder barge, and we were soon going room to room, calling out to see if anyone was present. Strangely, the power appeared to be shut off, as none of the lights were working, so again, we relied on flashlights. Sarge, over here, called Steph. And wouldn't you know it, a basement door right on cue. Another crashing sound. I pull out my sidearm and tell her I'll go first and she's to cover me. I shout. Police, show yourselves. As we descend, but there's no answer. We reach the bottom step. Steph remaining still to block what seems to be the only exit as we sweep the room with our flashlights. It's also empty down there, just an old furnace, some boxes and usual household debris, but no sign of a person, animal, or anything else that could have made that crash that we both heard, or indeed anything that seemed out of place from falling over. The house did seem fairly old and I began to wonder if it was nothing more than a severe case of creaking floorboards and walls settling when all of a sudden it happened. A large older male dressed in overalls came running across the room at us. I shouted at him to stop. Steph screeched in fright since he had started us both and then he was gone again. Gone as in disappeared. Steph, despite jumping a mile, hadn't moved from the steps and he hadn't pushed past her. There still didn't seem to be any other possible way the man could have left the room. I told Steph to stay put, and this time, I went around the room checking the walls for hidden exits. But there was nothing. It made no sense, and yet there was nothing else we could do. We checked the house yet again and finally went back to the cruiser, where I reported back that the property was secure and we were headed back to the precinct. We had a couple of hours left on the shift, and both Steph and I were still feeling a bit weirded out, so we decided to do a little digging. And what we found was very interesting and yet left us with more questions than answers. The house was currently supposed to be empty as a previous owner, a Mr. Layton Holmes had died a couple of months ago around 79 of natural causes. He had been found in the house by a neighbor. 
Steph managed to find his obituary in the local online newspaper, and for a moment, we just stared at the screen. I might have laughed, but it was gallows humor. Because, and I bet you've already guessed it, the photo of the man, Mr. Layton Holmes, who was two months dead and buried, was the exact person we had just seen in that basement. And the final piece of the puzzle that made absolutely no sense, the 911 call made to dispatch came from inside the house. A regular landline, not a cell phone. A phone that needed power. With no electricity and no one home to make the call, we'll never exactly know what happened that night. But if I ever get sent to that address again, I'm waiting for backup. What would you do if you had been in this situation? Would you have stayed and done your job? Or would you have said nope and got the hell out of there? Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. It's never fun to be the new guy at work, but when your dad's the boss, you may get a special treatment that you desperately wish you wouldn't. Like in this story inspired by Colin Austed. Cody wasn't thrilled about starting work at his uncle's casket store. But he was 16, needed to save up money for a car, and this was the path of least resistance. As he stood in front of the store, he couldn't help but remember the first time he had seen the place when he was a child. His mother had gone into the small grocery next door, and she had left Cody in the car. When she came back... She saw that Cody had a look of pure terror on his face, and all he could do was point to the sign. His mom told him that's where his uncle worked. It was nothing to be scared of. When she asked if he wanted to go inside and visit him, Cody shook his head frantically and begged for them to leave, and he'd had nightmares about the place ever since. Even now, as he looked up at the sign over the door, peaceful endings... He shivered. I'm saving up for a car. I'm saving up for a car. Cody repeated to himself as he pulled open the glass door and made his way past the long, neat lines of caskets around him. Saving up for a car. Making his way inside, he tried hard not to look at the caskets around him. But as he tried to keep his eyes straight ahead, he heard the distinct sound of a casket lid opening. He knew that sound from every horror movie ever made and stopped in his tracks. As if being pulled by an invisible wire, 
he turned around and saw the casket nearest to him had opened all by itself. <laughs> Maybe it's automatic to show customers what the inside looks like, Cody thought as he slowly made his way over to the casket. When he was a foot from it, he heard a deep and low groan coming from inside. He tried to swallow, but his throat had gone dry. He took a deep breath and cautiously looked inside. A guy about his age sat up in the casket and reached out his arms for Cody. With a cry, Cody fell back and hit his head on the casket behind him. As his head ached and his ears rang, he heard it. <laughs> Laughter. Groaning and rubbing the lump, Cody got to his feet and saw two guys crawling out of their hiding places doubled over in laughter. Oh man, that was priceless. The guy in the casket howled. It was Jason, one of Cody's uncle's sales associates. With the help of his friends, Jason climbed out of the casket and stood in front of Cody laughing his head off. He wished they had had a camera recording the reaction. What's going on here? Demanded a stern voice behind them. All of them turned to see Cody's uncle coming out of his office frowning. Jason glared at him, daring Cody to snitch. I I'm sorry, Uncle. Uh, Luke, I, um, Cody began. But the man cut him off with a dismissive flick of his hand, pointedly looking at his watch. Cody was supposed to be there 30 minutes ago. That meant he had to stay 30 minutes later. As for the rest of them, he said, someday you're going to wind up in a box just like these. So you better show some respect. With a huff of disapproval, Cody's uncle marched back into his office and slammed the door shut. For the rest of the week, Cody couldn't think of anything but how he was going to get back at Jason for causing him to have the worst first day ever. While he was there, his uncle had him do everything from dusting the display models to emptying the trash cans. But the worst came during the night when it was his job to lock up. Luke handed him the keys and told him to be sure all the lights were off and most importantly, that all the floor model coffins were closed. Why do I have to close them? Cody asked. Luke glared at him and said he'd understand when he was the one running this place in a few years. Over my dead body, Cody thought as he watched his uncle get into his car and drive away. When he got back inside, an idea came to him. He knew what he was going to do to get back at Jason for scaring him. Cody made his way to the back of the store where the bodies were delivered and prepared for the viewing. There, he found an old woman lying on a steel table covered with a white sheet. Next to her was an open casket. Grinning like a madman, Cody went over to the body and took out a small Bluetooth speaker from his pocket and placed it under the old woman's body. Once this was done, Cody climbed inside the casket and covered himself with a thin white sheet. When he comes in and he hears the old woman moaning, Cody thought he'll wet himself. But as he began to lower the lid of the casket, the weight of the day seemed as heavy as the lid and his eyes began to close. He was woken the next morning by the sounds of voices around him. Hey, why is Mrs. Harris still out here? Shouted Uncle Luke angrily. She was supposed to be packed up last night and to be ready for viewing this morning. Sorry, sir, we'll get her ready, came Jason's voice. 
Before Cody could open his mouth to speak, the lid of the casket was flung open and a heavy mass was dumped on top of him. The foul smell of the dead woman made him woozy and her dead weight on top of him muffled his cries as the lid to the casket was slammed shut. The last thing he heard before he felt the casket being lifted up and carried away was his uncle saying, Take Mrs. Harris over to the church right away. Make sure you apologize for your screw-up. She'll stay there now. And has anyone seen my nephew? If he's planning some kind of prank, I'll bury him in that casket myself. Are you claustrophobic? Scared of small, tight spaces? Would this be your worst nightmare? Or would you sleep snugly in a coffin like I do? It can be scary to ask for help. And if you ask the wrong person, you could live to regret it. Like in this story inspired by Rupsali. I moved into my dorm room excited to start my college journey. As I explored the rec room and met classmates and roommates, most of them seemed friendly, fun, and welcoming. Yet, there was one who stood out from the rest, a loner shrouded in mystery. His name was Kareem. Kareem was the quintessential nerd, always immersed in the world of books and research. His large, round glasses accentuated his withdrawn appearance, and he seemed to exist in a bubble of intellectual isolation. His demeanor was short, and he was too awkward to attempt any social interaction. A lack of personal hygiene and an outdated style made him an enigmatic presence in our dorm. So much that his other roommate left and he ended up with a suite all to himself. He never seemed to leave his room unless it was for class or to visit the library. In the lecture hall, Kareem seemed to know far more about the lessons than any curriculum required. I, on the other hand, embraced a carefree approach to college life, indulging in late night parties instead of prioritizing my studies. However, my laissez-faire attitude came crashing down when finals came around. With exams just two days away, I began to panic. Desperate, my roommate Harry suggested I ask Kareem for help studying. The mere thought of it creeped me out. He was the last person I wanted to engage with. Yet it seemed like the obvious answer and I had run out of alternatives. My reluctance held me back until the night before exams. Sitting alone in my room, I stared blankly at my textbook, my mind a void. The clock struck 2 a.m. and the realization that I had accomplished nothing dawned with devastating force. Panic surged through me and I mustered the courage to knock on Kareem's door. I was greeted with silence and while waiting, the feeling of unease crept in. We knew he was in there. He was always in there. I went back to my room. Harry dialed Kareem's number repeatedly, but he didn't answer, neither accepting nor declining the calls. Our anxiety grew, and we decided we had to do something. We made our way to the janitor's quarters, snagging the spare keys for Kareem's suite. As we opened the door, we were shocked. Kareem's room was adorned with ancient Egyptian artifacts and sculptures, some of which should have resided in a museum. However, what was truly disturbing was the sight of a mummy's coffin placed on the floor, its lid ajar. 
Beneath the open lid rested the corpse of a pharaoh who had long since departed from the living world. The atmosphere in the room turned icy. We didn't know how or why, but the realization that Kareem probably stole this relic weighed heavily upon us. We walked through the suite and upon reaching his bedroom, our worst fears were confirmed. Kareem sat lifeless on his chair, his face contorted into a grotesque mask of terror. His lips were a sickly shade of purple, his eyes bulging. It was as though he had died in the midst of a horrifying revelation, his nightmare forever etched onto his features. Fear gripped our hearts as we contemplated what could have caused his gruesome demise. The mummy, Harry whispered. We raced back to the room with the Egyptian artifacts, our hearts pounding. There, amidst the stillness, I noticed a distinct change in the mummy's posture. Initially, its hands had been arranged in a cross figure across its chest, but now they lay at its sides. My trembling hands pried open the mask that concealed its face, revealing eyes that were too large for a human. Kareem had seemingly replaced the mummy's eyes with something horrible those of a moose, a monstrous hybrid. It looked as though Kareem had attempted to revive the mummy and something had gone horribly wrong. Just as we were about to run, the linen-wrapped figure began to stir. Its head slowly turned and ping-pong-sized eyeballs locked onto us. It was a sight of sheer horror, an ancient curse unleashed upon our unsuspecting college dorm. In that moment, Harry and I knew it was over. The mummy, once confined to its eternal slumber, was now an abomination of life and death, and its ancient gaze was fixed upon us, promising an unspeakable fate. Ever notice the strange classmate in school? Did you ever reach out to them or notice something specifically or otherworldly about them? Do you have any scary stories about it? Tell us your story by sending us an email at somethingscary@snarled.com. In our final story, join my co-host Stephanie as she tells the tale of an urban legend from India written by Sarah Luca and now animated on youtube.com snarled. There's no worse feeling than the person you love and trust the most slipping away from you. But in the end, it might be for the best because a toxic relationship will kill you. Zoya's life was in grave danger. Her fragile frame covered the lonely road, gasping for each last breath. Amelie, her best friend, shouted for help, only to be met with silence from the empty highway. The callous hit-and-run driver had vanished into the darkness, leaving Zoya for dead. Amelie pressed her trembling hands against Zoya's bleeding wounds, but it was useless. Blood oozed through her fingers, and the grim reality set in. Zoya was dying. Through tears, Amelie pleaded for Zoya to stay with her. She was going to get help, but all she could do was watch helplessly as the light in Zoya's eyes faded away, while telling her that she was loved and she was not alone. Amelie felt panicked and searched all around for anything that could be useful. She spotted her bag on the opposite side of the road where they had been walking through the woods earlier that Saturday night. It had slipped her mind among all the chaos, 
Summoning her courage, Amelie hurried across the road, tipped over her bag, and snatched her phone. She dialed for help, her voice trembling as she described a serious situation. With the phone still tightly gripped in her hand, she rushed back to Zoya. Tears streamed down Amelie's face as she cradled Zoya in her arms, weeping for her lost friend. Much to her astonishment, Zoya's eyes flung wide open as she desperately gasped for air. Though battered and disoriented, she found relief in the simple fact that she was still alive. When the medics finally arrived, they were all amazed by Zoya's miraculous survival. It was a medical miracle, inexplicable, but a cause for celebration. After a brief hospital stay, Zoya returned home with her best friend right back by her side. Amelie settled on the couch next to her friend, ready for a night of movies. I got all your favorite flavors, Amelie said, offering a bowl of snacks. As Zoya gazed at Amelie, her eyes held a hollow emptiness, and she uttered the confusing words, Who are you? Amelie's heart sank, shattered by the realization that Zoya had seemed to not recall their memories together. However, it wasn't just the memory loss that troubled Amelie. There was something incredibly different about Zoya now. She withdrew from her old friends, avoiding their company as if they were strangers. Her grades started to drop. It was a stark contrast to the girl Amelie had known. Zoya sat in the classroom, secluded and whispering to herself. The unthinkable happened when Zoya, consumed by an unfamiliar rage, threw a book in the direction of a teacher who dared lecture her. It was evident that Zoya's transformation had taken her far away from the person she used to be, leaving Amelie yearning for answers and the mourning the loss of her dear friend. Amelie spent her Saturday nights alone on the couch, lost in her thoughts. Her nanny noticed her granddaughter's depressed state. Amelie had a whole venting session, explaining the bizarre changes in Zoya's behavior since the accident. She believed Zoya had died that night and was grateful for the second chance they were given but nothing was the same anymore. She missed her best friend. Nani's eyes widened in shock. She demanded to know all the details about the night of the accident. Amelie recounted the moment when she believed she had watched Zoya die and how she had to leave her for a moment to call for help. Nani leaned in closer, her expression grave as she whispered, her voice barely above a hushed breath. That is not your friend, Amelie. That is a batal. Amelie's heart skipped a beat as her ears absorbed her grandmother's words. Amelie had heard stories passed down through generations that spoke of beings called Bathals, evil spirits that resided within lifeless bodies and desolate burial grounds. These cruel entities took over a dead person's body, giving the appearance of life. They could switch from host to host, living forever, making the bodies of the dead their home. Amelie... Nani's voice trembled with concern, her eyes filled with an unspoken fear. Promise me you'll stay away from Zoya outside of school. It, it's not safe. Struggling to comprehend the gravity of her grandmother's warning, she thought to herself, how do you avoid your best friend going forward? But deep down, she knew Zoya had been different. Expecting to find Zoya soundly asleep in her bed, she scanned the room only to discover its emptiness, forming a knot in her stomach. She knew something wasn't right. And then all of a sudden, a chilling drip broke the silence, causing Amelie to startle. Her eyes darted towards a source, her breath catching in her throat as she saw a puddle of blood slowly pooling on the windowsill. With trembling hands, Amelie leaned in closer, her eyes widening in a horrific disbelief. 
There, hanging upside down from the curtain rod, was Zoya. The shock coursing through Amelie's veins paralyzed her momentarily, her mind struggling to process the ghastly scene before her. A yelp of horror escaped her lips. But as if responding to her cry, Zoya's eyes snapped open, fixating on Amelie with an intense look. Zoya slammed her face against the glass like a deranged bird repeatedly colliding with invisible barriers, desperate to break free from its cage. Terrified and filled with a deep sense of dread, Amelie's instincts kicked in, propelling her to jump down and flee from the horrifying scene. The sound of the window shattering behind her only fueled her terror, confirming the monstrous transformation that had consumed her dear friend. In her heart, she knew that whatever stood before her now was not Zoya, and the realization tore at her soul. Haunted by the memory of that night, Amelie made a conscious decision to avoid any contact with Zoya. Though it pained her to acknowledge, she understood that her best friend was gone, replaced by the evil entity that wore her skin like a mask. Moving on became a necessity for self-preservation, though it broke her heart. Amelie avoided Zoya after that. After a while, she was able to move on knowing for sure that her best friend was gone. Every shadow held the potential for danger. Every unexpected noise sent her heart racing. But she would always remain on guard, trying to avoid the monster that stole her best friend's body. This week's podcast stories were edited by Sarah Lukasiewicz, Janine Pipe, and Stephanie Strange. Narration by Blair Bathory and Stephanie Strange. Audio edited and mixed by Fitz Harris. Additional audio editing by Calvin Linderman. Art and graphics by Irma Richardson. Produced by Anna Villalobos. Executive produced by Gail Gilman. Music by Sapphire Sandalo and Calvin Linderman. If you have a story you'd like to submit, send me an email at somethingscary@snarl.com. Don't forget to watch the video version of Something Scary over at youtube.com slash snarled. And if you'd like to support the show and everything we do at Snarled, join our Patreon at patreon.com slash snarled. Until next time, my spooky friends, sweet screams. <laughs>